0: Hello and welcome to Crop It Like It's Hot, the Arable podcast hosted by me, Alice Dyer, and brought to you by The Crop Tech Show, Arable Farming Magazine, and sponsored by Yara, the crop nutrition company. Before we get started on today's episode, don't forget if you're on the basis register, you can claim one CPD point for tuning in by emailing the name of the podcast and your account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. So today's topic is crop nutrition. We've got a mixed programme for you today. We're going to discuss everything from future policy, developments in the fertiliser sector and find out from one farmer how he's making marginal changes to his crop nutrition programme for better returns. But my first guest today is Edward Downing, who's National Crop Nutrition Technical Manager at Frontier Agriculture, and he's going to take us back to basics, starting in the field, and tell us what else we can be doing to improve crop nutrition programs and boost nitrogen use efficiency. Hi, Edward. Uh,
1: good morning, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks, how are you? Yeah, very well,
1: thanks, yeah, very well.
0: Good, good. Now, Edward, if we just start by thinking about crop nutrition and what's going on um, at this time of the year, the importance of improving productivity and efficiency is something being drummed into us. It, you know, we hear the three R's a lot, but what other factors have a real influence on nitrogen use efficiency?
1: Yeah, there's. I mean, there's lots of factors that um, that go into um, in, improving it. Um, so, I think I think the the, the overarching piece of the says is, is um, there's no sort of silver bullet. There's no massive, um, uh, you know, improvement in a single, you know, um, piece. It's, it's really down to sort of attention to detail in, in, in as many aspects as you can focus on um, to make improvements. So you, you talk about soils. Soils are one of the absolute key factors because when it comes to nutrition, Virtually all of the nutrients the crop actually requires, it takes up through its roots. So it's taking the the nutrients out of the soil. So with that in mind, you you know, the density, the the depth, the the volume of rooting is is absolutely critical to maximise that uptake efficiency. Particularly for a nutrient like phosphate that that is relatively uh, immobile in the soil, um, you need really good root system to have really good uptake of, of, of phosphate. So, you know, to get a good root system is, is, is you know, it's is easy to say. The challenge then is having, you know, really, really good soil structure. So no physical impeding of, of, of root growth. Um, and there's lots of things, obviously, you know, that you, you can do to try and, you know, improve that particularly, obviously, around organic matter, um, and improving organic matter levels in the soil, that will really aid uh, maintaining soil structure um, going forward. And that, that real health of soil also uh, will help the, the, the growth of roots and, and also mycorrhizal fungi as well that are involved in, in nutrient uptake. So that's a big one, definitely, in terms of, of, of um, improving nutrient uptake.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's something we're learning more and more about as we go. And what about other nutrients and how they influence nitrogen uptake?
1: Yeah, so a, a, another area that um, I think farmers you know, definitely need to be conscious of is we get very focused on, on nitrogen, uh, quite rightly in terms of, of as, as the main yield driver. But in terms of utilisation and efficiency, um, a lot of the other nutrients are involved in that piece in terms of of helping to improve um, nitrogen use efficiency, particularly something like potash, um, heavily involved in terms of of nitrogen uptake. So, you know, if if you're not managing your potassium levels or potassium levels well um, to to, to meet potassium demand, it'll have a knock-on effect in terms of of nitrogen uptake. so, you know, key to, to appreciate that. Same would be true with, with sulfur. Uh, and also, um, not particularly a nutrient, but, but another area that has an influence is pH. Um, one of the first, um, and easiest ways, shall we say, to, to uh, have a negative impact on root growth is to have, um, even relatively mild, um, uh, levels of acidity. Um, in your soil and so as soon as you're impinging on on root uh, growth and proliferation you're clearly going to have a significant impact on um, nitrogen uptake but also uptake of other nutrients as well so so i've stressed the importance of of just making sure that that it's a case of managing all of those nutrients well Um, and and you know the influence that they knock on influence that they have to to, to nitrogen um, uptake and efficiency.
0: And what about above the soil surface? Anything we should be really thinking about there?
2: Uh,
1: absolutely, uh, absolutely. And monitoring crops, and, and that sort of leads into um, the piece around. A, a, a common question is around, you know, the, the rate of nitrogen to apply. Um, particularly, getting asked uh, that at the moment in terms of, um, you know early applications on and subsequent applications to go. And and I think it, it, it's important that um, – the thing I like to, to say to people is, is you know, we all put down quite rightly, we plan nitrogen applications, we plan um, fertilizer uh, uh, programs, which is absolutely the right thing to do. The, the piece I always would like to, to have in people's mind is, is – to question each of those applications as they go through the spring and and, and really, you know, check that they are um, – and I don't mean to question as in to assume they're wrong. It, it's to question to check they're still right at each of those timings. I, I think sometimes, um, you know, we get incredibly busy and, and we we tend to sort of execute a plan, uh, which, is, which is fine, you know, if the plan is being put together with, with, with thought detail – But still, we have that influence of the season. Um, And as you get into the season, each season's different. And really just checking that we are reacting to that season. We're reacting to the crops in front of us. And at times, maybe easing back on on doses or subsequently, you know, if if potential's really there, we're actually increasing um, some of the later doses. So I'd encourage you to to utilise biomass imagery. Um, you know, really useful to, to, to monitor development, particularly to monitor variation across the farm, um, so that you can, can maybe start to adjust programmes um, to individual fields to improve efficiency, um, and maybe even take that um, into the field and look at um, varying, actually, rates within the field, you know, as as you would between fields, but but using that bio, biomass imagery to to actually produce variable rate nitrogen uh, applications to reflect that differences in biomass across the crop so it's all about trying to adjust n rates to the potential of the crop and that that potential controls nitrogen demand
0: yeah and you know growers can do all these things they can make a conscious effort um, to make improvements but is is nitrogen use efficiency something you can just measure yourself on your farm?
1: Sort of yes and no it, 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 there are things that you can measure in, in the truest absolute sense of nitrogen use efficiency um, you, you, you really need an accurate measure of of soil nitrogen um, so um, in trials we do that with zero nitrogen plots so we have We have plots of, of, let's say, wheat um, where we we grow them without any nitrogen applied. Uh, We take the yield uh, from that. And from that, we can work out from the the yield and the the grain protein, uh, because we can convert that to grain nitrogen, Uh, we can work out how much nitrogen has been taken off the field um, uh, from those zero end plots. And and so that's all come from the soil. Um, We then compare that... Nitrogen offtake to plots where we fertilise, and so you can then see the difference. You know the amount of of nitrogen being taken off that the fertiliser has um, uh, produced and, and and therefore taken up, and then you can compare that difference with how much you applied. So, if for example the the uh, the, the difference was 120 kilos of nitrogen, and we put on 200 kilos then you would simply divide the 120 by 200 and that would give you a a 60% efficiency. I I pick that because that's actually the the sort of guide in in terms of RB209 uh, that talks about that as a sort of average figure that we would get, so a 60% efficiency. Um, Obviously on farm you don't have zero end plots, so um, you, you don't have that ability. You can... Um, obviously, do a a soil mineral nitrogen uh, test, but that really gives you a, a test in a moment in time. Um, there are um, other options that that do add in additional available nitrogen that would go a little bit further. Um, so that is one way that you could you could sort of bring in that soil end piece. To be honest, though, the there is a you, you know you could just take that piece out in terms of an efficiency and 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 it's probably not really a, a true nitrogen efficiency but it's more of an inputs outputs calculation so uh, in that way what you're doing is just doing the measuring the grain offtake piece and comparing that to your grain um uh to the fertilizer applied yeah so, and, and the key bit
3: there, and this is the absolute key bit there, is it, it all
1: hinges on a grain result. So, um, in wheat, we have a protein result, but you can convert that to nitrogen by dividing by 5.7. So, so, we have a grain, N, and then we just simply times that by the dry matter yield. So, we take away the water. So, uh, a ten ton crop becomes a eight and a half ton crop of, of actually dry yield, and so you, you, simple calculation you can you can work out the the grain end offtake. The problem comes though is that most of farmers' results in terms of grain uh, protein results will be from sampling in the shed. You know, so they've, they've, they've harvested a number of fields into a shed. Taken some some grain results from that, and at that point you you you've lost your link between a grain sample result and an individual field. Okay. You might have a bit of an idea of you know front of the shed is from you know those fields, but you, you don't have that level of detail, which is is really important in this area because it. it by the time you get it into a shed, the, you'll have. You'll mask a lot of the differences across the farm so so one additional step that I would really encourage farmers to do is to start sampling a few of their uh, they can start with a few so start with half a dozen fields across the farm and actually sample the individual fields so uh, that would involve taking uh, basically a handful of, of grain from um, several trailer loads, ideally every trailer load, um, into a bucket, mix that up, and then take a sub-sample. You know, just as in a way you take a, a representative soil sample, you're trying to take a representative grain sample from that field. That result, and, and you're looking only for a normal, you know, not, not anything other than just a normal grain sample result that gives you a grain protein. So you've you, all you need is that grain protein that you can then convert to a grain nitrogen, and then you've got that level of detail because you can relate that grain result to the yield result from the field, and then finally, obviously, you know how much nitrogen, um, either as as fertilizer or manure, was applied to that field. You can work out your grain offtake and compare that to to your inputs. Really start to see the efficiency.
0: Yeah and speaking of which a lot of growers are moving to either no-till or reduced tillage systems now but how does tillage system affect nutrient availability and how will they need to rethink crop nutrition on the back of these changes?
1: It's an interesting question. Uh, in terms of tillage and, and reducing tillage if it, um, it goes back to what I um, talked about earlier in terms of of the importance of soil health soil structure if it improves um soil structure improves that soil health you've got you're likely to see increased um, organic matter levels um so you, you think that would go hand in hand then yeah you, you know there's, there's going to be a benefit of of that in in, in terms of um improved rooting and, and therefore improved uptake so so potentially you know a, a benefit on that side the, the only uh, i suppose you know watch well one of the watches there would be around just making sure that your um your, your bulk densities of your soil aren't increasing um too much it can be sometimes in, you know a, a consequence of reduced tillages that that bulk densities um, do increase and, and that can can get to a point where they start to restrict rooting but hopefully the increases in organic matters will help to to, to reduce that so um, in terms of nitrogen I think there should be some some benefits um, there um, one I mean one other watch just on another nutrient um, that uh, I think is, is just something interesting that I, I would encourage those going down reduced tillage systems to to, to monitor would be around phosphate Um, because we know that phosphate doesn't move um, far within soil, it's very quickly bound onto soil Um, and we equally know that roots will will take phosphate up um, uh, you know often roots are active later in the season at reasonable depth so they're taking phosphate up um, lower in the profile and if you're not moving soil and your additions either uh, particularly as fertiliser are going onto the soil surface, there's a potential risk that you're uh, what they call stratifying your pea. So your phosphate, rather than being um, at sort of equal levels down the profile, is actually greater near the surface than it is at, at depth where most of the uptake's happening. So I think the, the way just to, to keep an eye on that is and uh, encourage on, on, on a few fields to take some soil samples from a greater depth than they would normally. So, uh, normal guidance around soil sampling is sort of 6 inches, 15 centimetres. Um, I'd encourage um, one or two fields to, to, to increase that depth to sort of 20, 25 centimetres, so sort of 8 to 10 inches instead, and just compare the results. And, and, and see um, you know if there's some differences there because that could just it, it, it's just a concern that that um, uh, to be aware of that's all and, and I you know it, it may be unfounded and, and that deeper soil sampling will 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 highlight that so so just something to be aware of more than anything
0: yeah definitely there's some great tips there thank you very much Edward
1: brilliant cheers then bye
0: From Limagrain's market-leading oilseed rape breeding programme, Aurelia is the UK's number one hybrid variety. Offering growers proven performance across all regions, it has exceptional autumn and spring vigour and outstanding disease resistance. Aurelia is a fully-loaded hybrid, combining turnip yellow virus, pod shatter, and RLM7 foma resistance. Learn more and register for Limagrain's oilseed rape virtual demo on Wednesday the 5th of May, by visiting lgseeds.co.uk forward slash O-S-R-V-T-T. So we've just heard about the need for more precise crop nutrition and of course one of the main drivers of this is going to be policy and we've got a few different potential changes on the horizon here. So with me to talk through some of those is Jane Salter, Head of Environment Policy at the Agricultural Industries Confederation. Hi there Jane. Hello Alice. How are you?
3: Hi, I'm alright, thank you.
0: Excellent, well let's get started. So, Jane, there's a lot going on at the moment from the clean air strategy, the environment bill, net zero, and most recently, the sustainable farming incentive pilot scheme has a fair amount um, of information on crop nutrition within it. So do you think policy-wise the future of crop nutrition is going to be drastically different? Yes, I do, Alice, because
3: there's such a clear relationship between crop nutrition, productivity the environment targets and net zero and at the heart of achieving these multiple goals is crop nutrition and a really good nutrient management plan one that actually makes measurable progress and i really do think the nutrient management plan is the holy grail because only only that will achieve the lower carbon per ton the higher yields per ton and um, provide for all without unintended outcomes so it really is um a key tool for the farmer and i know arable farmers are hot in this area uh, and it's not easy to make improvements but more this tool can be used as a as a, um, a business aid rather than a compliance thinking as as part of compliance the better um i also know from our conversations with DEFRA and the devolved governments um, that their focus will be on nutrient management over the next 10 years and we at AIC having appreciated that are taking a lead with a number of um, farming bodies to create a call for action around nutrient management um, for improved farm nutrient balance, improved nitrogen use efficiency and on the um, feed side feed conversion ratios all these improvements by 2030 and it, it's an ambition um, which I think um, will be hard to meet and our advisors and the farmers um, will need a lot of support enabled in able, in, a, in order to deliver upon these high level KPIs that we've put in place I also think that we are on the right track with those metrics um, we've talked to um, the rest of the supply chain, we've talked to policymakers, and those metrics seem to ring true with the direction of travel they're thinking of.
0: And do you think there's one specific piece of policy in particular that the arable sector needs to keep an eye on?
3: I think all elements will be more integrated in the future. I think we need to keep an eye on DEFRA's review. Of uh, nutrient management and um, the nutrient management policy uh, for the next 10 years. There's a nutrient management expert panel that's been set up and that's due to report its findings at the end of next year. That will be key to shaping the overall nutrient management policy um, for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I'm expecting that will be integrated so it will look at water quality, air quality. Um, net zero, and how to achieve those end goals um, by focusing on the sustainability of the farm business first and how policy might support that. I think Brexit presents an opportunity um, to look at policy and policy support rather differently. Um, We've moved on from silo thinking, to more integrated thinking here in the uk and I'm, I'm fairly hopeful that if we help shape this policy the policy can help drive the end goals rather than um and be positive rather than controlling mm. um, but that means us the industry all working together to help um lead um rather than wait for regulation and the stick
0: yeah I think
3: the two need to complement, the policy driver and the market pool, and our upskilling. Um, We need to have the tools, we need to have the skills to be able to make the changes, and we know the changes won't be easy to make.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on that, the urea consultation has obviously just closed, and we're still awaiting the result. But do you think that an outright ban is a real possibility, or do you see government maybe meeting in the middle a bit with the likes of inhibitors and things? And if we did have an outright ban, what would that look like?
3: I still think it is a real possibility. Um, the six organisations that have um, proposed an alternative industry led approach um, to delivering ammonia mitigation need to make a very, very strong case to ministers that. The approach is robust, and we've got some work to do there. By robust, I mean the approach we put forward has to be auditable. You have to be able to demonstrate that we've made the uh, reductions necessary. And we're under no illusion that even if we are given a window of opportunity to deliver through an industry proactive approach, if we don't, um, it's very likely that Dapper will be forced to regulate. They won't have any choice. And um, it it's important, I think, to appreciate that the, the focus isn't just on fertilisers, a lot of focus on manures, but 80% of the emissions of ammonia are from manures and it's the livestock sector that will have to carry the burden and the cost. So the arable sector, you know, feels that it needs to do its art and it can do that um, through this industry-led approach. I'm hoping um, the ministers give us that opportunity
0: and if the outcome isn't an outright ban what is the solution to cleaner air
3: our proposal includes a mix of an open period to apply untreated urea and then from the end of March um, only to apply urea with um, an inhibitor we also are going to in the in the, in the background knowing that we, we, we will if we get this Um, Opportunity have a a tight timeline. We will be looking at how we use software tools, um, geotagging technology to help um, the arable farmer demonstrate that he's being compliant. He's used the material at the right time, right place, etc. And that would help give extra integrity um, with real data that we've actually achieved um, the end goals. And essential not only to achieving that good practice for urea will be improving natural use efficiency generally in other words more um for less emissions
0: yeah and there's obviously big changes coming potentially big costs you just mentioned certain technology there um aic is made up of members of the fertilizer sector so what are they doing to support farmers amongst all these changes that are on the horizon
3: Alice, little do many farmers know that AIC's been working with all farming bodies every step of the way and has been doing for, gosh, at least 30 years, and we're still alongside um, the NFU, the CLA, and others in policy discussions. Um, so we, had, we do help shape ELM with farmers. We do help shape air uh, quality with the farmers, and we do help, help shape the net zero ambitions. One aspect that um, we have really helped change is by forming a partnership with AHDB um, to keep nutrient management recommendations up to date. Um, it's because of that partnership we're able to blend the AHDB levy payer funds with the industry funds to be able to deliver changes to our B209 based on combining the research funds so for example at the moment when you look at the projects run by ahdb a third of those projects are funded by the ahdb levy two-thirds are co-funded by industry now that joint partnership to, to deliver for farmers is really key and it, and it, it's um i would say it was quite a groundbreaking uh change i think it was about five years ago when ahdb and AIC decided to work together um, to um, form this partnership with others uh, to take the recommendations away from government responsibility to um, HDB and industry responsibility. It's something that's worked really well. In addition, um, the fertiliser industry has invested heavily in lowering the carbon footprint of fertilisers. They've dropped by uh, 40% since 1990 that's in the production of nitrogen fertilizer and um, through our roadmap there's a commitment from the fertilizer sector to fully decarbonize or decarbonize to 80 percent depending on the facility by 2050 and that's going to take a huge amount of investment that will clearly have a huge effect also on the um, footprint of the arable crop
0: yeah definitely because I guess well that is the the main challenge really for arable farmers is the the footprint of their fertilizer when it comes to reaching that zero yeah. yeah,
3: I think it influences the carbon footprint of the crop by about a third if we've If we've put this ambition together for improved nitrogen use efficiency, we need to know how to deliver that as advisors as the fertilizer sector and as advisors and help the farmer to do that. And we we need a very clear definition of what we mean by nitrogen use efficiency, how it's benchmarked, and how farmers might target and measure the change.
0: And have you got any figures on fertiliser use in the last, I don't know, decade or last few decades, and how it's changed?
3: The usage has mainly changed in the grassland sector, not so much on arable and fresh produce. Um, the application rates, um, I'm speaking of nitrogen now, and then i speak of potash and um, phosphate. Um, the nitrogen rates have remained pretty static, but the yields have increased. So that means higher nitrogen use efficiency. Yeah. Phosph- phosphate has dropped significantly um, by about half, and the phosphate balance on arable farms is either in balance or in negative balance. And that's not a good thing because that's uh, uh, if the indices for phosphorus and indeed potassium are too low, that limits the ability to drive forward nitrogen use efficiency. So, so phosphorus balance in the arable regions is, a, is an issue. We're not in oversupply in the arable regions. It's not all about nitrogen, it's about the soil and it's about nutrient balance.
0: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We say reduce our nitrogen use but it's actually far far more complex than that
3: yeah once you open the soil up and it's it's um, healthy and drains well you can get a lot you can get a lot more for the nitrogen applied so focusing back on soil quality um, is key really and it's key to this campaign that we've developed
0: Definitely, and that is something that all of our speakers have resonated with so much during this conversation. Thank you very much, it's been great You're to welcome. chat.
3: See bye bye. Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, Yara's Country Arable Agronomist, and I'm here to talk about ammonia emissions. Now, ammonia is a big problem in the UK, with 88% of emissions coming from agriculture. Of that, 23% are coming from fertilisers, so what can you do to reduce those emissions? Nitrate fertilisers have less than 3% ammonia emissions, therefore switching from urea to AN reduces ammonia emissions by 10 times. If using urea treated with an inhibitor, then the emissions from that are still double those from nitrates. Therefore, if you want to have some of the lowest ammonia emissions, use Yarabella Axan. For more information, please visit yara.co.uk.
0: And now for my next guest, Michael Parker, who farms at Sherwood Farms in Leicestershire, and you also might know as the AHDB Vale of Beaver Monitor Farmer. And his focus has been on how crop nutrition can contribute to better returns. Hi, Michael.
4: Oh, hi, Alex. You're all
0: right. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good, so shall we start with you just giving us a bit of background on your farm and your current approach to crop nutrition?
4: Yeah, so we are a 600 hectare mixed arable um, laying chicken and a composting business farm. Um, about 560 hectares of its arable, um, with a mixture of soils, predominantly heavy clay based, And then we've got about a third that range from very light sandy soils to sort of a sandy, clay, loam. And they present their different challenges with the nutritional inputs and how you have to manage them, not only in nutrition but in cultivation and, as I'm sure lots of people are aware, different farming practices. And in terms of nutrition, what we've been... Trying to look after it for quite some time with um, different approaches. Our sandier land, we've been, it, it was not particularly good land when we first got it. It was droughting and not producing much. So um, we've been using compost for about 17 years. We've made our own site to take council waste. i um, very lucky to get a contract for that and um, we've gradually been improving that. Try and get it um, just a bit more profitable, and it's worked. The organic matter contents of that land has come up rather well. Um, it's now a profitable farm, and our heavy clay land has um, chickens laying chickens on it, and we've been using that to bring the organic matters up there as well, and other indices, and. Um, for 60 years. So some of the indices there are rather sky high, and some of the organic matters are sort of 10 plus percent, which um, it's very good. Yeah. So it's working, but it's um, presenting different challenges in nutrient lockup that we're still trying to go ahead and a little bit and haven't got our heads around completely.
0: Okay. And you're very good at monitoring what's going on, so you're doing soil, tissue, and grain testing how has that helped you
4: so all three in tandem really we started with soils sort of 20 years ago and we do each field on a bi rotation so we can sort of monitor its progress um, and then hopefully that can give you a bit of a heads up as to roughly what that land should need um, nutrition wise you have a fairly good idea before you start um, and then the tissues we bring in before each spray so we've just done our two nought sprays and we had tissues done before that and it picked up that the only things low were potassium um, in most of our crops. So we're just looking at what we're going to put on that. Um, probably won't be a spray, so it might be something granular. Okay. We might try some tissue-based stuff as well. Um, and then, um, yeah, basically we'll tailor each application using the result of that. And then um grain which we've just been doing through the yen um grain nutrition program which is proved very, very useful actually
0: yeah what kind of thing have the results from that told you
4: it's just been quite interesting um it picked up deficiencies where we haven't seen deficiencies in either the leaf or the soil so um and not only deficiencies over applications um Um, deficiencies in particular were um, our manganese and our phosphorus and we put a lot of manganese on and uh, the phosphorus we've got indices of 3s and 4s so you wouldn't expect to see any shortages there but we did Um, so we'll be trying more um, this year in response to what we saw last year in the grain resorts just to
0: see if that was indeed the limiting factor and if there's more to be gained there. Yeah, and I guess the more years that you have that information, you'll build up a bit of a database about season effects and things like that.
4: Exactly, yeah, because there was a year, I think it was three years ago, when um, everything was droughted right at the end of the season, Mm. and we ended up with a lot of pink straw, and I think that was potassium lockup perhaps, and um, there are seasonal effects, um, but we've been doing it for three years now, and um, the data's looking fairly consistent, so it's Mm -hmm. suggesting that we need to be... Manganese is the key one, um, as always, um, but even little things like it said that we're a little bit low on boron and luteinum, so we'll be looking at those a little bit as well and just keeping an eye on them a bit more closely than we otherwise would have been.
0: Yeah and you've made some other changes in terms of crop nutrition um, I know you said that you are trying some different technology and you've also moved to liquid fat so how's that going?
4: Yeah so a couple of changes as you say um, we've moved to liquid predominantly for the capital um, cost saving
2: but also for the higher accuracy um, we've change from 30 to 36
4: metres and that does push the granular spreader it's possible of course but we've had um, issues with spread not being 100% with 30 metres so um, A the accuracy B the capital and um, the flexible product choices, there's so many different tinkering and tailoring so on our different sites we've just got a slightly higher sulphur um, percentage fertilizer at our lighter land just to boost that whereas our heavier land doesn't often need much sulfur so, um, we can cut that down and it's completely flexible which is obviously another option in your toolbox if you like um, and then the second change that we've made is we've been running an end sensor for about 10 years um, which in case people don't know is a sensor which scans the crop density and the green leaf area um and it works very well but with the advent of the new sprayer we'd also need a new end sensor so we're looking at well, we're trialing at farm yara at farm for the year which comes with an end tester um and linking back to um the yen nutrition program. It showed that we'd overplied um, nitrogen last season on most of our crops, which was probably season-dependent because the crops didn't reach what we thought they were going to reach or hope they were going to reach, and perhaps we didn't cut it back, cut back our nitrogen rates enough.
0: Okay.
4: However, the end tester should ensure that we can't do that again, and um, it still has the satellites. I have to say that I've been trying to use the satellites over the past few days and
2: the,
4: the clear images aren't always there. So it will be interesting to see how we get on this year.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I guess that's the thing with uh, the UK.
4: It is, yeah. The flexibility of an end sensor is unbeatable when you pull in a field Yeah, and can just turn it on.
0: As well as all of this, you started using Edofoss Agronomy, who we've had on the podcast before, Um, and this is because you wanted to look at how nutrition can reduce the need for pesticides. So how's that going? Um, Early days, this is our first season with them, but
4: so far the crops look no worse and the spend's less. It's just the fact that they look at all the different variables to start off with. They look at the soil, they look hard at the nutrition and then they look where they can use the nutrition um, instead of just using traditional pesticides which is really interesting Yeah, and hopefully where we can go because if you need the pesticide then you've left something available whereas if you can keep
2: the crop healthy or grow it away from the beetles or whatever it is
0: then you shouldn't need it in the first place yeah um hopefully i move in the right direction yeah and it'll be really interesting for us all to follow your progress on that one as a monitor farmer thank you for your time michael and for virtually talking us through your farm and your crop nutrition program
4: no thank you it's really nice to be considered
0: Now, last, but by no means least, is my final guest, Mark Tucker of Yara, and he's going to talk us through some of the new innovations coming forward in the fertiliser sector. So, Mark, farmers can only do so much when it comes to reducing their carbon footprint from fertiliser, so I'm intrigued to know more about some of the developments in the pipeline within the fertiliser industry.
2: Yeah, of course, and that is something that is a real focus now in the yeah the farmer can get the the fertilizer management bit done well at the farm um but then you've got to be thinking about how do we further reduce um the carbon footprint we've of course started the reduction process of the carbon footprint with our abatement technology that happened back in uh, 2009 and really the next step that now will take again a further reduction um of the carbon footprint is the use of um, green ammonia um, and green ammonia really important um, element because ammonia is the starting point for um, the fertilizers that the nitrogen fertilizers that the farmer uses and from that ammonia you can then produce um, the more familiar terms that the farmer will know ammonium nitrate um, UAN, um urea so there is That's the starting point and what we're looking at and we've got projects running across the world, whether it's in Australia or up in um, the Nordics or um, from a European perspective in our big factory um, virtual oil skill. And there we're very much um, using wind power, so there's um, a, a joint venture agreement there where wind power is being used as the source of energy. Um, and the source of hydrogen and that's the most important bit it's the hydrogen which is the component we're wanting um, and so wind power being um, the source of energy there that drives electrolysis and it's that hydrogen that comes from the ele- electrolysis that we can then combine with nitrogen to form our ammonia the other projects that are going um, on around the world is solar power to do that same and drive that same electrolysis process or indeed a A process that um, was actually used um, back in the early days of nitrogen production, hydroelectric power, so yeah all of those renewable energies now involved in big projects looking to drive electrolysis that then removes the need for the fossil fuel which is the carbon intense uh, material um, which invariably then brings the carbon footprint of the mineral fertiliser down
0: and how much would this technology reduce the carbon footprint by and when can growers expect to have access to that
2: Um, yeah that's a good question the um, the the fertilizer itself is um, carbon free but of course there are emissions associated with fertilizer um, and you'll still have some of that so the overall figure that we're anticipating is a 30% reduction um, in the emissions from fertiliser by way of greenhouse gases. Um, in terms of when then I think growers should start to see um, and get benefit from these as early as 2025. Um, that's when we hope and anticipate sort of production facilities to start um, supplying into um, the UK um, business.
0: Okay, not far away at all then. And you're also doing some work on organo-mineral fertilisers along with the olia. but what are they? Because that's not a term that I've come across before.
2: Yeah, food waste in particular is a big um, issue for um, large urban cities around the world.
4: Mm.
2: And that food waste contains nutrients and what we want to do and what we're now piloting um, is uh, using using those nutrients from that food waste through processing to actually turn it into a fertilizer. And obviously you have an organic side to that in terms of its organic fertilizer. Um, And then what we can do is enhance the nutrient component um, to make it more in line with perhaps a a more classic fertilizer. By adding some minerals to it, Um, they can either be from other waste streams or from the classic minerals that we would utilize in fertilizer manufacture. What you then end up with is this sort of hybrid from a, not a truly organic fertilizer, but a hybrid of the two, which is then termed organo-mineral fertilizer. So it can contain somewhere around 40% organic material, and then you top up with other minerals to actually get the analysis that is appropriate for whatever crop you might be targeting and that's really again a big part of Yara's investment at the moment is, is involved in that sector economy working on the first city is London where we're looking to pilot um, organo-mineral fertiliser production from um, waste streams uh, food waste from from london and that's a big project that's just starting at the moment
0: that's really interesting and it sounds like we can probably expect some quite big changes in the next few years so how do you think the future of crop nutrition is going to look
2: i think we're going to see some big changes in the sense of that sort of classic crop nutrition program is going to be a real um, coming together of Um, organo mineral fertilizers being part of um, the crop nutrition strategy could be either in the form of a, a basal dressing which gives you some level of nutrient supply but also some organic material to contribute towards improving soil health and then coupled with then utilizing nutrients whether it's foliar products or whether it's more more classic fertilizers so bringing together the two to be your mainstay of the crop nutrition program but then on top of that using all the sort of diagnostic tools available to farmers whether it's from classic laboratory analysis where we send the samples off and find out really and um, what nutrients are um, deficient or whether it's then through the digital tools and again another big area of investment for yara is to develop the whole digital um tools that are out there to help diagnose plan um, and dynamically manage the crop so that we really do improve efficiency of nutrient um, whether it's uh, applications uh, or whether it's timings of that application
0: yeah and just like the other speakers have said it's about tying in all these different things together to make marginal gains which then add up to something quite big thank you very much mark
2: no worries thanks for that and uh, look forward to it
0: and i'm afraid that's all we've got time for for today folks so thanks for listening and take care